everyone and welcome back to yet another episode of Cinematters, the podcast on cinema from the northeast of India, where we tell you why you should be watching these films if you're not doing so already. I am your host, Arshia Dhor, and today we finally have a film that is not from Assam. It is, in fact, from Manipur, a 2011 film by the name Fiji Gimoni, directed by Oinom Gautam Singh. It is available for watching on YouTube and it's a story of a family where the son, who is an aspiring boxer, later gets estranged from his family. He goes on to get married, he has a child and all the while, his aging parents, especially his mother, longs for him. She is seen pining away for him. His sister acts as the catalyst, bringing the family back together eventually. ตามัวมาดิฟอนตอกครับบ่ตอกจีตอกเกคะละมะเนทะบารูบะคะละกบะดิมะดูฮอนะยายตอบุงลงขีดเตคิตังทูนะตอบุดิจมมะเนไอเ
yeah so like you mentioned that um, you know how the male child privilege or also how the uh, son and daughter uh, you know uh, moments are represented in the film that is very strongly highlighted because yaifabi who is uh, we are actually listening to the story or experiencing the story through yaifabi's eyes okay and it is uh, either through her diary reading that uh, that she is uh, giving us an uh, a window into her brother's uh days at the sports academy where he was training yeah. and where he had met his then girlfriend bicha yeah or or about even how their entire family is actually living to uh support his brother's dream of becoming a boxer yeah and uh, again like uh, like you mentioned the patriarchal uh structure or the privileges in the sense we see that the mother is very giving and loving and has a very silent presence throughout the yeah. film where she is very selflessly devoted to uh wishing for the well-being of her son yeah and and she has literally not much of an expectation but only the well-being of her son whereas the father also expects the mother to just you know uh show a very happy face to the son so that he doesn't get distressed and the uncle and the father of the family are you know uh, dealing with the financial situation and the uh, see with the sports education continues or whether you know this national academy participation and all of that uh, participation in the national sports get to happen uh you also see that the boys are very used to not just uh, uh, you know uh, not just the protagonist here that is not just sanajawa but also his uh, brother uh, you see that uh, they have a sort of taken for granted attitude uh, from their family yeah. because uh, we also uh, see towards the end where uh, you know where uh, sanajawa's ina or uh, her his aunt you know is uh, requesting uh, her only daughter to come and visit uh, his his father but uh, he is so busy and immersed in his work that he misses his father's last rites um and uh, yeah. it is which which is quite telling because it just says that uh, uh, somehow if there is a daughter to take care at home if there is a mother figure then the sons do not feel compelled uh, to be part of these daily domestic and uh, you know uh, events of life which could yeah. be grief which could be happiness and and um, also throughout the film we also realize that there is some sort of miscommunication whereby uh, we do not really get to understand when sanajawa gets married and it is also an intercommunity marriage okay which is quite a highlight also that yeah. brings about different things we do not really understand whether it is the intercommunity marriage that has got the mother and son mixed with each other 
or is it just the lack of communication that has faded across the years which which is not really explained i feel which is a good thing also because yeah. you know it brings out a uh, different uh, layer yeah right yeah we also see that there is initially uh, i mean we we see this at a later stage in the story of course but we uh, believe it's at a at an earlier part of the timeline that is covered in the film where we see how the mother and the family gets to hear a lot of rumors about her son being spotted with a child and she is absolutely unwilling to believe people and she feels that people are just doing this to disrupt their lives and to um you know they they perhaps jealous of her son uh, even though it's absolutely clear that you know she was not included as a part of his new life that he had set up with his wife and he already has a daughter and they were not in touch perhaps for the longest time so yeah i mean we do see some of these um themes play out of its estrangement of abandonment um you correctly point to that now we can also see like you just mentioned that you know the manipuri society um if i'm not mistaken this is a methi family that uh, we see yeah. in this film yeah Uh, there there is a sort of obsession with the male child in general i mean going simply beyond the patriarchal structures which grants more freedom more agency and definitely um a lot of privileges far more than the woman has been granted in the patriarchal structure uh the the male children are of course granted far more of that um we see that there is this obsession uh that the mother that is sanajaba's mother has with him which like you said is selfless love of course and she expects very little back from him you know we see how uh, you know in the flashback where um when sanajaba is out um for one of his boxing matches which he eventually does not end up winning but we can see how his mother sets aside food for him even though he's not at home you know he's absent from home and when yaipabi asks her mother why she does this her explanation is i just feel like if i do this my son is going to be safe he wherever he is he i feel like he's well taken care of so that in itself that scene was extremely telling i thought as to just how blind this whole i would choose to call it obsession for sure even if someone else does not but i would definitely choose to call this uh, a very uh, distinct obsession with the male child especially when it comes to the indian the in, in, when it comes to the context of indian families so yeah and despite the fact that eventually sanajawa leaves his home he does not keep in touch with his aging and ailing parents the moment the sister puts them back in touch everything seems to have been forgiven if not forgotten definitely everything seems to have been forgiven so in that sense we see that how despite the fact that it is the daughter who is the one putting in all the effort to reunite the family she travels all the way to a different city to meet her brother who has you know set up a completely new life without them he has given up on his sporting dreams 
to lead a very cushy life with what seems like a white collar job um you know he has his own big home he has his wife he has his daughter she is never really given her due credit it's explicitly you know uh yai pabi's character or for that matter any other female character in the film and in fact the meaning of the title of the film that is pigigi muni is actually my only gem and while one would imagine that this of course alludes to the male child or the son which is sana jawaba in this film i i would i wish it was talking about the woman you know it was talking about the sister yai pabi uh and um, i mean i don't know i guess that's not what it was meant for but you can of course read the film in its various different layers you can take away your own interpretations and also i believe this because the film like you mentioned right at the beginning is um uh, seen through the point of view of yai pabi um another very interesting female character whom you cursorily touched upon was the love interest of sana jawa which is bicha and um they meet in the sports training academy where she was a budding archer and she really came across as this very ambitious and feisty figure uh, at least in the first half of her life and what struck me as quite revealing is how each female character's arc in this film eventually leads them to become a mellower version of themselves as a result of their circumstances you know eventually uh when we first meet yai pabi you know we see her as this young sincere very hard working girl who wants to become a scientist and she also takes on these you know if teasers or bullies on the road um and she comes across as quite a strong figure when she does that but by the time we meet her again we realize she has already completed her phd you know we meet her again in the present day track when she is traveling to her brother's home in the hope that she's going to be able to reunite him with her family um so and on this journey also she again stumbles upon bicha uh, and we come to know that she again has given up on her archery and now she works for ngo so you know we can see how their personalities have perhaps been watered down a little would you agree with me over there yeah in a way that is true because it just shows how also not just uh, bicha and yai pabi also i would say jessica uh, who is uh, sana jawaba's wife yeah. we get to meet in the second half of the film uh, we we see that somehow uh, their struggles are not uh, discussed in details they are cursorily uh cursorily you know marked or marked out to uh you know give some um depth to the story yes but we do not really know how they have come this far so we do like you mentioned like bicha is winning silver medals uh, as an archer for the yeah. national team yeah uh and uh, she probably is unable to give adequate time for the romance um because she was focusing on her career so also let very murky but 
I that that is how their romance was starting because uh, Sana Jawa is unable to figure out how she is not having enough time for them. That is a different story that she does not have a sporting career really, and she becomes a champion of uh, gender or women empowerment in an NGO as a program officer in in the current times. So yeah, she she is also quite uh, upset with how her sporting dreams came crashing down. Yaipabi, on the other hand, uh, yeah, she gets uh, pleasantly surprised when uh, she re- uh, realizes that Bicha uh, has come to know that she's become a doctorate now and congratulates her because it it just seems that she has accepted it as just another event in her life. Like you're saying that, it, yes, it is watered down and now her focus is on marriage, which, uh, which is a social expectation. And she's also uh, because that event is so meaningful for her family, she's also come to include and involve her brother who has become estranged, you know, along these years and takes this step and meet uh, him in this new world. So yeah, and also through the little references from uh, Jessica's uh, narrative, we, we don't really know, in fact, Langlin is their child or yeah. whether Langlin lived with Jessica from before, you know, uh, because it just shows that they developed a friendship yeah. which just happened. It yes. wasn't a cultivated romance. It was circumstantial. So, yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah, it was circumstantial. So, uh, which is also very interesting, but we somehow do not know what Jessica, Jessica had a rented house. So she was probably a landlady. We don't know whether she, uh, she and her mother does this or her generation does this or something yeah. like that. But we're not given insight into that world. It is just mentioned as an anecdote right. to just you know add mm. to the story, I think. So right. these things, yes. Also, I feel, you know, uh, the fact that they are showing a khasi mete union. Yeah. And and the ending of the traditional bow where there is a mundan ceremony, mm. which, uh, you know, which is a very Hindu uh, ceremony, yes. I would say, uh, which is Lakokpa, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, Maite community. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, so so that also says that whereas a Khasi society is, you know, matrilineal, you yeah. suddenly see with this uh, Maite Khasi union, it's uh, th- that part of the narrative is not really shown or hmm. deliberately not touched upon. I feel that is where I um, I had slight uh, question or curiosity as to how it was and which which also shows that maybe to belong to find a place in the community then you need to be uh, within the Manipuri uh, set up in a particular way uh, right so yeah that kind of a thing yeah right you do touch upon some very sort of uh, aspects of the film which I think can easily go unnoticed so thank you for that um, now 
like I was mentioning that, you know, when you look at the female characters, because I really felt like the film belonged to the women, even though the films, I and, and I really don't know if this was a very conscious or unconscious um, sort of trick, if I may use that word, used to, in a way, subvert their narratives. But I really felt like a lot of subversion was happening, that the women were taking hold of the narrative in the film, even though the story is centered on the men, you know, and how the men constantly keep evading their responsibilities and how much their lives, in in a way also, how much their the lives of the men are also weighed down by the expectations of the societies they live in. So, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, because this film, like the other films that we've discussed on this podcast, also has its premise based in the unit of the family, and understandably so. We can see that the women at the end of the day are getting really weighed down by their domestic responsibilities. You know, we see in a particular scene um, that Yaipabi says she has no space or room to think about anything beyond what her parents have to keep saying about her brother. So she can't even spare a thought about settling down in her own life or getting married. It's only after she manages to reconnect with her brother that she finally can think about getting married, can actually have her parents also think about it. So you can see the way this, you know, this tug of war, this constant tussle for power and control that's happening within these family units between the various genders. And I feel like that's also something that the film does really well. And um, there is this constant deliberation of collective identities uh, as seen in the indigenous cultures and societies of the Northeast that we have constantly noticed in the films that we have so far discussed on the podcast. And Pijigimuni is absolutely no um, exception to that rule. Um, Before I proceed, I would also like to mention to our audience that unlike our previous episodes, this time round, we were unfortunately unable to reach any of the cast or crew members of the film. You know, our messages and emails uh, went unanswered till the time of recording this episode. Uh, Now, Shibonti, I wanted to sort of touch upon the sound or the music that has been used in the film. I felt that this film uses sound and music rather differently from how we have seen the other films that we have spoken about on this podcast how they have used it. Um, there is, There are times in the film when I felt that the background score was quite overpowering to the point of being a little jarring. Again, you know, it's anybody's guess as to whether this was done intentionally, whether this was done to evoke a certain kind of reaction from the audience or from the characters, uh, you know, to be to supplement or to complement what was going on on screen, you know, 
what were your thoughts on this particular aspect of the film um so uh, there has been a constant use of um, instrumentals throughout uh, the narrative and the film is shot in a very documentary style which gives it a different kind of feel also you know scene by scene and uh, i didn't uh, particularly find the music jarring uh, but i felt that uh, it was constant if not uh, you know it, it was constant in uh, throughout that was there regarding the use of instruments i felt that because uh, you know most of the instruments uh, that were used were western like piano strings or keyboard and uh, the other instrument which can be used in both western and eastern contexts was flute and that uh, i felt uh, flute was mostly used when there was these domestic scenes that was uh, being played out at sana jawab's home where the father and mother are discussing uh, the future of their son or when um, when the sister is having a serious conversation regarding how he should try and mend his relation with emma that is his mother um also i felt that the movie uh, deliberately probably uses two songs and two full fledged songs one in the beginning which is sort of visualizing uh, the romance between sanajawa and dicha and the last one towards the end where there is this ceremony which is happening you know the mundan ceremony where you find that uh, langlen the daughter is being accepted as right. a member of the meite community yeah which uh, which uh, were the only two places where you are actually seeing uh, a bond being uh, forged some sort of yeah uh, a formation i felt that any any sort of yes it was uh, being uh, unfolded it was being discovered it was being uh, accepted all of that otherwise uh, the use of the music has been to dramatize or to motivate or to sometimes even give some spiritual soothing touches that's how i feel that the uh, that's how i read the movements music of the bit. music right yeah 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 right. and um, another interesting theme which i personally felt worked at a very sort of metaphorical level in the film is how sports was used you know uh, i mean again because we didn't get the chance to interact with the director or anyone from the film we can only guess whether this was done consciously or unconsciously but then i felt that the motive of sports was used to very effectively expose the disparities in the societies that we live in especially in india where by the virtue of sometimes just once geographical location one is rendered at a disadvantaged position uh you know we see how sana jawaba gets defeated by a player from kerala at the national level championship and when people keep asking him or you know when they discuss as to why he lost despite training so hard the reasons given by the characters actually tells you that 
uh, you know, it, it tells you how the systems actually work in reality. You know, there is a lack of resources, there is a lack of funding, there is a lack of visibility, etc. In this region in general, and we see this, um, and and we see this theme constantly repeating in the various films that have emerged from this part of the country, and all of this generally. Um, keeps and has largely kept communities and tribes from this part of the country that is from india's northeast from attaining the center stage nationally which they definitely deserve and you know finally what i would really like to emphasize on which i also feel is in con- in in continuation of what this whole sports uh, motive brings about in the film about you know this this region constantly being in the shadows is the kind of struggle that you and I went through to actually watch a good version or a good print of this film. It was just not available, and you know I would really like to draw the attention of our listeners to this particular point because this is why we started the podcast in the first place you know we wanted to talk about why it is still so difficult to access good quality entertainment from the northeast and i would really urge our listeners to go and watch this film on youtube and see for themselves as to just how heartbreakingly poor the quality of the only digital print of the film that is available as of now is to the point where even the, i mean the highest quality available the highest um, sort of uh, i think it's called quality right that 480 144 i'm really bad with all these technical terms but the highest quality that's available is 480 and even then you can't read the text you know when the credits are rolling and credits are rolling you can't read the text at all and it's just so heartbreaking besides cinema from assam i'm sure shibunti is going to agree with me because we have been in this journey together for like months now besides cinema from assam we at cinemators are continuously struggling to get hold of cinema from any other part of the northeast of india we are hitting extremely um sorry dead ends in fact you know we were super excited to take up this one khasi film that we managed to hunt down called onatha and it was streaming on netflix but now unfortunately it's been taken down from netflix as well so we cannot discuss it um and there is no way we can talk about this film on the podcast until and unless it's made available on netflix or on one of the other streaming platforms where all our listeners can easily access and watch it we did consider reaching out to the filmmakers of some of these films that we had wanted to discuss and we wanted to request them for screeners but we realized that you know this would totally defeat the purpose of the podcast which is to bring attention to the films readily accessible but lesser known to our audience so if any of the filmmakers from the northeast are listening to us or if netflix or any of the other platforms are listening to us please bring more films made in the northeast to your platforms and plug this really gaping lacuna that exists you know we really need to do that 
and yeah i mean that's really all that i had to say about this really sorted situation but before we wrap up uh, we have our final segment which is films that deal with similar themes that our audiences and our listeners can watch so shivanti please do enlighten us there correct um also to add to what you were already saying about availability of films in uh these languages from the different parts of uh, northeast of india i also feel that it is quite sad that because youtube is largely you know accessible but the print yeah. that is available is not uh, very user friendly even though right. it is accessible and yeah. i was also quite thrilled to find that uh, uh, khijigi moni as a film is actually part of uh, a syllabus of mount carmel college oh in yes bangalore, bangalore where uh, they have a course called additional additional english you know and uh, in that course they are trying to bring in discussions around socio political and cultural uh, events and analysis uh, through literary texts and visuals uh, through essay poetry uh, and other uh, you know uh, materials and Kijikimoni happens to be a film that they have chosen to incorporate as a part of their second semester course, and I think it's a recent course that I chanced upon, uh, which is running for twenty eighteen to twenty twenty one batch. Now, also I realize that uh, even film schools uh, or departments um, uh, teaching film studies, they do screen Kijikimoni as uh, one of a uh, uh, film uh, from. original languages to be seen and to be discussed which right. makes it a very relevant um film in itself and it yeah. should be available on you know other ott platforms yeah. um, or you know especially netflix because <laughs> yes. primarily it talks about kinship it talks about um you know uh, religion it talks about uh, community and definitely it talks about patriarchal system and the gendered relationship which we yeah. all uh, which we which we have been discussing throughout right now and now coming back to yeah. just uh, how can we think about parallel films yeah um uh there is a touch of obsession even in this giving attitude of the mother because the obsession is about the well-being and uh, uh, you know uh blind faith in the sun in a way you know uh, uh and i feel um, there was a film called itchen which is uh, a 20 2011 film only by shivo prashad mukherjee and nandita roy based right. on shuchitra bhattacharya's novel okay and that is a different tangent altogether but it actually uh, tells you how the mother interferes in the son's life because the mother wishes the son to uh, have a particular way of life and she wants to be part of his life uh, in a very uh, you know intimate way. way right yeah, yeah intimate and prominent where she doesn't even entertain uh, other kind of relationship that her son ends up having so she successfully disrupts her first relationship but is unable to do so uh, when he eventually moves on although here here the moving apart between the mother and son 
is very different where he yeah. actually says goodbye and starts a new life yeah. in this case you see that the son for some reason has not been able to include his mother uh, about what is going on in his life because you know he has suddenly taken a decision to start his family yes uh, but eventually comes around to uh, you know explain and accept how the situations have been and comes close to the mother so um, yeah so but this whole uh, mother son relationship and love uh, taking a turn towards obsession and obedience uh, suddenly becoming uh, you know disobedience and and eventually fading away of relationship is something that comes for the right. other uh, series in fact it's not a film but um, one of i am really into korean series <laughs> series these days uh right. but can't we all nice uh, yeah uh, this is a very nice uh, korean tv series uh, by oh hyun jong and nam sung yu okay uh, weightlifting fairy kim bokju which is right. a 2016 to 2018 south korean tv drama yeah which actually talks about the sports academy and uh, where it's a coming of age drama about the you know the same problems about infrastructure about economy about aspirations about a sporting life and it's 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 a light romance yes but it's more about their career path it is about this uh, short story between uh, the weightlifter who is uh, the protagonist and uh, lee sung kyung that is and the other protagonist who is um, a swimmer so it's interesting because it draws the struggles and the challenges of uh, being in the sporting academy and taking life ahead and this also shows the struggle of a middle class family because the uh, protagonist father just runs a uh, uh, restaurant uh, where he primarily is famous for selling fried chicken you know Uh, so uh, you you see the struggle and you see the dreams and you see the difficulty and and also what happens when you fail because there are stories that are also incorporated of failed athletes in that and here this film is actually talking about failed athletes in a yes. in a way and how they could not make it to the mainstream yes because of lack of visibility because of access because of maybe insurgency which yeah. is so rampant in the area yes which is subtly you know of the setup and uh, so yeah i mean it is uh, relevant because it talks about why certain career choices do not pan out well right uh, how uh, communities respond to uh, crisis situations and definitely the family dynamics which become prominent like all other right. things that we've been talking about which usually end up assuming center stage absolutely yeah. superb that was lovely and with that we finally come to the very end of yet another episode of cinematters do not forget to tune in and subscribe to more episodes on first posts youtube channel spotify apple podcasts google podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts 
we promise to bring you more such fascinating films from the northeast of india and we will tell you why you should be watching them and discussing them if you're not doing so already so until next time this is your host ashya dhar signing off with shebunti chatterjee from cinematos by first post